the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of the Carolina's GCSA or the show sponsors. You're listening to Pulling Weeds Off Course, another installment of the Carolina's Golf Course Superintendents Association official podcast with a focus on off-course industry folks and their relationship with superintendents and the Carolina's GCSA. Here are your hosts, Alan Knight and Tim Krieger. Hey, and welcome back to Pulling Weeds Off Course, the official podcast of Carolina's Golf Course Superintendents Association. I'm Alan Knight. Joined today by my man Jim Huntoon. Jim, how are you? Doing very well, Al. Glad to be here with you once again. Yep. Uh, and why are you on this episode instead of Tim Krieger on the opening? I guess because you and I had the opportunity to play a round of golf with our guest on this episode, Dr. Michael Woods. That's right, at the Charleston Municipal. That's correct. After a great lunch at Lewis Barbecue in Charleston, South Carolina. Yes, uh, and that's one. The one thing I want to get out of the way now is later in this interview, Tim says, "Ask a question about the best barbecue in Charleston," and, and said Marisa's, which is a chain with a history. But anyway, uh, it's definitely Lewis Barbecue home team. What am I forgetting? Rodney Scott's and then Swig and Swine are your options, I believe. Mm-hmm. We're going to hope that Mr. Krieger was being facetious with that comment, Al. I think he was. I think he was. But we definitely got to take Micah to the uh, to Lewis. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was fun. And his brother David joined us for lunch, David's girlfriend. And then David uh, joined us for golf over at Charleston Municipal as well, which was a fun round. Yeah, um, he did. And I don't know if you've heard me ask this, but David's a big, tall guy long hair and he and I were riding together. I got, I, I liked him a lot, but I asked him, I said, what else you got going on with this? Look, are you a pro wrestler or musician or anything? And he yeah. said, Nope, just, uh, he rents construction buildings. Good yeah, day. it was fun. It was fun. Um, uh, it was a treat to play with Micah and David, you know, they've got a long history in golf. Their father was a PGA, um, pro and, um, I couldn't remember for sure, Albie. He might have said that he owned a golf course, too, uh, in Oregon. So that was interesting. So obviously they came up in the game. Um, David had some vintage clubs that were his father's. It didn't <laughs> make did. his didn't make his uh, game any easier, I wouldn't say. No, no, but it was a good day. It was a fun day, for sure. Yeah, it was a treat and to walk around with Micah. And, you know, he's really into turf grass and turf grass culture and just to be around him and to look at all the different species of of grass on charleston municipal you know it's such an old golf course that there's a lot of different varieties of turf grass out there and you know plus everything that's been redone so yeah just a a fun day all the way around yeah and you went back and played the tournament there too didn't you the uh fried egg Ooh. yep Sorry. Yeah, did indeed, and had a great time with my great friend and colleague, Michael Bankert. Um, played 36 holes in one day out there, so uh, I'd encourage yeah. anybody that has an opportunity to go to one of those events to, to take it. It's a lot of fun. I got I to gotta tell you and all the listeners, right now we're recording the day before this episode comes out, so it's a Saturday afternoon, 2.18 on a Saturday uh, afternoon. So I'm at Columbia Country Club in the ballroom, and there is the dogfight who played this morning, and they're going back out for the emergency nine. And there's also a Peggy Kirk Bell's junior girls tournament. And you got this chipping green has got so many balls being fired at it right now. You got to be careful if you're out there on chipping green. Sounds like a full day at Columbia Country Club, Alan. I guess it was. I ha- this is, I haven't been out here all day just to chat with you. But anywho, back to Micah. Um, I was overwhelmed by what I was seeing on chipping green. I apologize. <laughs> Uh, I was I was overwhelmed a little bit just uh, being in Micah's presence and learning from him when we were out there. And thanks to Steve Agassi for setting us up, Al, too. Yes. Um, it took good care of us over there. They did, and, and I will say that it almost seemed like a charity round, one of those things where you would have auctioned off to walk 18 with Micah. You know, it was like you and him talking turf grass for four hours. Yeah, and I was impressed with his game. You know, I had to 
strap him up with a set of rental clubs from um, my course heritage club, and yeah, was in, I was impressed with his game. He had he, the uh, birdie, didn't he? He did. Yeah. He did. We may have had one. Now we've just forgotten, but he I definitely had one, and and we documented it, didn't we? Yeah, he did that birdie dance, which was fun to watch. You hopefully you got yeah, your he, photography credentials credits. I think I did. Yeah. Either way, it's no big deal. But um, you know, uh, Tim's going to mention in this interview about how we, as an organization, have approached Micah about speaking at the annual conference and show in Myrtle Beach. And unfortunately, we're not going to be able to make that happen this year in 2022. Um, Micah's schedule is just uh, too packed. In November, he's already speaking at a couple of other conferences in, in Europe. So it's going to be difficult for him to make the logistics happen this year, but uh, we're working towards having him come in 2023, Al. Good. And Yes, that is good. And Micah told me earlier this morning that he's going to be that much more prepared in 2023 <laughs> than he would have been in 2022. He's got so much more to learn. Um, yeah. And he'll be that much more um, available and enlightened in 2023 to speak with to speak to us then you know i will say that day we play golf how pleasantly surprised i was because i mean i've heard him on joe's podcast on talking greenkeeper and i've watched some of his videos um but how much personality micah has man i really enjoyed our time and so i think if we can get him to the carolinas that would be awesome yeah, he's a very multidimensional person. You know, not only does he do incredible research and reporting on his research on his Asian turf grass website, um, you know, he's a accomplished podcaster. Alan, as you know, he's got two podcasts, the yep. um, ATC Office Hours and the ATC Double Cut. Yep. Um, he's definitely well-versed in YouTube, Al, yeah. which you're quite familiar with. Um, and he's an incredible writer. So, uh, you know, he blogs and, um, has a newsletter that you can sign up for that. I love reading via email. Um, and just his Asian turf grass center.com website. is just a wealth of information. A lot of times I've had some people ask me, you know, ways to learn more about turf grass and, and what's going on. And ATC is a great resource for that. You could spend days and days on there reading the articles, watching the videos, listening to the podcast, and, and really expose yourself to a lot of different things in the realm of turf grass management and turf grass culture. Yep, yep. Well, and it's just Tim Krieger and Micah. Well, Don Garrett's in the room. I don't know. Did Don get on the interview at all? Do you remember? I think he's in the background a little bit. Yeah. You know, this was, we were able to get Micah to come to Clemson. You know, Clemson, he, he came to visit Don to look at the Zoysia. Walker course with Don. With, look at the Zoysia Greens. Yeah. You know, Dr. Micah Woods is um, deals with a lot of Zoysia grass greens in Asia. And he wanted to see some Zoysia grass greens throughout the southeast. Um yeah, this was a big trip for Micah. I'm sure he mentions it in the podcast, but he was in Charleston with us, Alan, as you know, and he was in Gainesville at the University of Florida. He was in Knoxville at the University of Tennessee, where he's an adjunct professor. He was at Clemson. Um, he worked at Augusta National. So That's right, during the Masters. He volunteered. Yep, he did. And then he was in Oregon after that. So he truly is a, a world traveler and... Yeah, you know, does bring a perspective to our industry and from a worldwide view, from a worldwide perspective, which is something that I really appreciate about his work. Yep, no, no doubt he's a smart guy, good dude. Anything else you want to say about him? We should just let him and Tim do the talking. Let's not stand in the way, Al. It's time. <laughs> let him have it. All right. Well, here they are, Michael Woods with Tim Krieger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're trying out something a little different here today. You've got uh, Tim Krieger, your co-host with 
none other than Tim Krieger. Hey. <laughs> um, Alan couldn't make it, so I've got some portable equipment, and I have snuck in on a visit at the Walker course between Don Garrett and none other than, I, I don't even know where to start. I'm just going to say Micah Woods. Micah, say hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Thanks for lunch. That was delicious. That was not scripted. I did not ask him to say that, everybody. All right, Michael, what are you doing in America? I am doing all kinds of things. I'm on a long trip that, um, well, probably it's centered around working at the Masters Tournament. So I'm going down there this afternoon, and I combined it with some family visits. I haven't seen my family for a couple years, so I was glad to see my mom, my siblings, and I've been looking at some golf courses and some university visits to learn as much as i can about some new grasses and how people are maintaining them all right most important question that comes out of that where's mom my mom lives in western maryland at deep creek lake okay okay and you've got family in in the carolinas too brother maybe my brother lives in is it somerville just north of yeah my brother my youngest brother lives lives there so i visited him oh last week and then I rented a car on Wednesday, and for the past five days or so, I've been driving around. Um, no, gosh, the last week yeah. I've been driving around. I went down to Gainesville, and I met with the uh, turfgrass faculty down there. And then I went up to Gainesville, Tif- Florida, or Georgia. Gainesville, Florida. Oh, okay. And then I went up to Tifton, Georgia, and I met Brian Schwartz and saw a lot of the grass breeding work underway there. And then I went up and spent the weekend in Atlanta, saw a cousin, visited Ralph Keppel at East Lake, and saw some grasses there. And then uh, I went up to Knoxville, where I am an adjunct faculty member, and I visited a few golf courses and saw the research there. Don, did you know that's why he was wearing the wrong color orange when he came here today? It was Tennessee orange. Close enough. He's trying to sneak it in on us. <laughs> now you notice. I did. I, told, I, did, I never put it together until just now. That's great. All right. That's, that's a good closer, trip. That's closer to Clemson than Tennessee. Oh, gosh. All right. Don says that's closer to Clemson than Tennessee. I'll, we'll go with it. Um, adjunct professor at Tennessee. How'd that happen? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, Jim Brosnan, who I've worked with uh, or collaborated with on various things for a long time, ever since he was a professor at the University of Hawaii, in about 2008, 2009. And then when, so we knew each other from back then. And when he moved to Tennessee and started working there, he said, uh, would you like to be an adjunct faculty member? And we went through the process and and I have been ever since. So I have a, a affiliation with the university there, but I think I get more out of it than, than they get from me. That's so awesome. Now, I, get, I get to learn a lot from them. Was that the UH Manoa campus? Is that where he would have been? Yes, he was. Sorry, we're talking Hawaii again, Don. Yeah, how long get did off you topic. live there? Just a couple of years. Sen- junior and senior year in high school. Um, what a place. Yeah. What a place to graduate from high school. It was. I loved it so much I haven't been back. Um, <laughs> Good memories. <laughs> no, my mom and my sister go back every year. But um, So we did some catching up earlier, and it was interesting for me because I don't know the whole background per se, like, how you got to Thailand, for instance. Um, and I don't know that a lot of our listeners have ever heard, like, the abbreviated version. So do you want to share that again real quick? Like, yeah, the, tr- the loop that you made as an Army brat that wasn't an Army brat? Yeah, well, I will try to make it as brief as possible. I'm Basically, I'm from Oregon. And I'm from western Oregon where a lot of the grass seed has grown. Okay. And the soil there is really rich and nice. It's, it's good for high-value crops like grass seed. And it's also pretty good weather there. And I was working on a golf course and went to, to start undergraduate at Oregon State University. And I decided, let me go learn about grass in other parts of the country. So the first year after my freshman year, I was working down at Desert Mountain in Scottsdale. And all of a sudden I was exposed to completely different soil types. We were planting 419 into something that looked to me like a road base, just rock. Real quick, hold on. For all of our listeners out there, is 419, is that 419? It's Bermuda? 
Bermuda. Okay. All right. We're on the same page. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Good. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I, 419, folks. That's what we're going to call it from now on. The 419. I, so I say that because I probably I used to say 419, but working in Asia, it, it people will understand more clearly if I enunciate each number. Ah, okay. So for in, in Japan, it's Yonichi Q, which is 419. Okay. And in Thailand, if I say 419, people would understand those numbers easier than if I said 419. Gotcha. Because they might not catch that I've just said a number. Ah, I learned something. That's great. Yeah, I, I do. I probably have uh, some strange ways of talking because I'm often speaking with people in my work or in my daily life where English is not their first language. And to make myself understood, I try to speak in a certain way. And, sure. But I don't, I don't realize that I'm doing it, but just over time that happens. No, I'm bad. Like being an army brat, I've found that, you know, you move around and you pick up accents. And I don't know that I'm necessarily, other than being in the South and picked up a few mannerisms here and there, um, but I'll find myself like going to Scotland for a week and trying to talk Scottish while I'm there. You know, it's just interesting, so. That's funny. Anyways, all right. Arizona, he was playing 419 in the D E S S E R T. Wait, that's dessert. Yeah. One S. Lose an S. Sorry. Yeah, the D E S E R T. There you go. In the desert. And I. We didn't have electricity hooked up yet. This was the Apache course. So I had to go in early in the morning, start a big diesel generator to run the pump station to get water. And then I was riding around on a four-wheeler all day, running sprinklers and pulling a hose, planting bent grass, fertilizing bent grass. And bent grass was growing, and it was 114 degrees. And I realized with all that time riding that four-wheeler around in the desert, watching the grass grow and grow really well in soils that I would have thought you can't grow plants in, and growing bent grass in a type of climate that I thought you couldn't grow bent grass in, it's like, wow, I don't think I'm going to learn as an undergrad enough detail about how this is possible. But if I'm going to make a career out of working in this business, whether it's as a golf course superintendent or as some other job in the turfgrass industry, I realized then that maybe I should consider going to grad school so I can study more details and understand how that's possible. Because it was so different from what I'd seen before in Oregon. Did you grow up? Like in into biology and plants and things of that nature. Like I, I mean, what were your things growing up? I enjoyed playing golf. My dad was a golf pro. Okay. He played the Canadian Tour one year, huh. and then he was a club pro until our family got larger, and he realized it would be better to get a job that paid a bit more money regularly. Regularly, yes. And so, but he was always watching golf on television, sometimes playing golf. And so I was always around golf and I enjoyed golfing. We lived in the country. I wouldn't say we had a farm because we didn't really farm the land, but we lived in the country, had a huge garden and had some animals and, and landscape plants and a big lawn. And I always enjoyed looking at seed catalogs and saying, oh, what kind of tricolor corn can I plant or, or popcorn? I want to wow. grow my own popcorn. Okay. I, and I enjoyed that at the age of seven eight nine growing different plants and herbs but i didn't realize there was this behind the scenes thing where you could combine golf and preparing the course for play preparing the surface for play and it it wasn't until i finished high school and realized i wasn't a very good golfer i wasn't going to be playing golf on the pga tour and i i didn't like working in an office i'd, I'd done a a bit of a summer job down in Jessup, Georgia, actually, at a furniture factory, which was the company my my dad was working for a national furniture okay. manufacturer. Yep. And we spent half a summer down in Jessup and I was matching like work orders to receipts and stuff and just filing papers. And I did not like that. And I thought, wow, this whole working in business thing that I thought was going to be so exciting turned out to be not for me. So we went back to Portland where that company's headquarters were that my dad worked for. And I got a job caddying at Waverly Country Club. And then a job opened up on the grounds crew. And 
I still remember that my dad suggested I should apply for that. Other people suggested I should. And I interviewed for that job, got that job. And before I went to work on the first day or, or the pre, you know, the day before I was thinking with anticipation of what is the work going to involve? And I, I, it was so funny. I was like, man, I wonder how they keep track of which areas of the course have been mowed and which haven't and where they need to mow next. And like, how would you, how would you know that this fairway has been mowed or when it's time to mow the fairway again? So I just had those basic questions, but it's funny. Once I started doing the work, cleaning leaves, fixing divots, finally getting on some mowers, mowing greens and stuff like that. I just loved it to be hot, to be on a golf course, getting to work outside in and to prepare surfaces for play and to see all the complications of that, all the, the little tricks and the challenges and then overcoming those challenges. It was it was just perfect. And then I realized, hey, uh, you know, I didn't know that this existed because I played golf for so long and I never paid attention to what the we never did. What I the never knew. Keeping yeah. was all about. But here I was, this kid that grew up in the country, enjoyed gardening, enjoyed growing plants and everything, enjoyed the game of golf, and all of a sudden there was a job that was perfect. So I worked there for a year, and then I went to Oregon State and started studying turf grass there. Nice. And that's where the internship, I'm assuming, took you to Desert Mountain. Yep, because my dad was helping at a furniture factory down in Arizona that year. So, so you had a place to live. So I had a place to live. And then, then I got that thought in my mind while I was riding around in the desert of if I'm going to work in this business, I need to learn more than what I'm going to learn in undergraduate level courses. And so I kind of planned it out. I thought if I can go work in some other parts of the country, then I'll learn even more. And then if I go get some international work experience at that time, I didn't have a passport. I'd, I'd been to Canada, but I'd never been other than that. I hadn't been out of the U S I thought I'd like to see some of the world and and I thought that might be sitting on a beach somewhere like Jamaica working on a golf course until two in the afternoon and then take a book to the beach watch the sunset drink some rum and then go do it again the next day that's what I was anticipating that's what Damon Diorio is doing right now have you seen Damon Damon's traveling the Caribbean doing that yeah I should go visit him he and Pinky are just hanging out do you know Damon I've met Damon. I've met Damon. <laughs> You'll never forget him if you have. Yeah. So, yeah, he's at that new Santa Lucia course, isn't he? Yeah. That's that's going to be a... Carving it into the side of an island. That is going to be a highly ranked yeah. golf course. It's going to photograph really well and looks like it's going to be a lot of fun to play. No doubt. So maybe I'll have to go visit him again. I think so. So your overseas desire for experience then, a.k.a. Uh, us business majors um, backpacking and staying in hostels trip across Europe you turned into actual work it was a job you took I I took a job I I was able by the time I graduated from Oregon State that was 1998 and there was kind of a golf boom in Asia at that time and I wasn't looking for work in Asia I was just looking for international work and I, I needed to make a little bit of money. Okay. And the best paying job that was available was an assistant superintendent job working for the superintendent, Steve Bruton, who had been my boss down at Desert Mountain. Okay. So he, and it was such a big budget Nicholas project in Shanghai that they were willing to hire an assistant superintendent who was a expatriate. Where is Shanghai again? Shanghai is in China at about the last... It's on the east coast of China at the mouth of the Yangtze River. And it is the financial center of China. And it is at a latitude of about Jacksonville. Okay. And we full season grass. Oh, wow. And after five months, five months after I got there... My boss resigned to go take another job. So I was 22 years old and I got promoted to be the golf course superintendent. And we still had nine holes yet to seed and grow in. And so I was growing in nine holes that Steve had kind of taken the lead on seeding. Then there were nine more holes that I had to do the next year. And then we opened this course. And you didn't know the language? I did not know the language, but my two assistants, uh, David Young and William Jean, 
they did and so I, I quickly learned a few words and they handled everything else so we were a good team and we had fun there for a couple of years all right so then so now we're in shanghai so you got shanghai to go where <laughs> sorry <laughs> i well part of i think part of the reason that my boss left was because the company had spent most of its money and they were it got to the point where they were kind of running out of money and we weren't able to buy all of the things that we needed to keep cool season grass at the latitude of Jacksonville, uh, pretty hot summers. Uh, we weren't able to keep that in real good condition and it became a difficult work environment. I still had a plan to work overseas for three years. So I'd done the two years and a little bit in China and there was a job opening in Japan. And I took that job working for a company called ETS. And I lived near Tokyo and I was a golf course superintendent uh, for a little over 11 months in Japan. Okay. And then I, I stuck with my plan um, to go back to graduate school. And Frank Rossi at Cornell University up in New York had a position for me to go study about turf grass nutrition and soil testing. So in uh, 2001... August 6th, I think. That was my last day as a golf course superintendent. Oh. And then then I went to the Philippines, went to the beach, went to Hawaii, stopping over on the way, and then went to grad school. Smart man. Way to come home. That's how I tried to do it. Combine yeah. combine work and fun. I was work, always work told. Work-life balance. When I was in Hawaii, if you ever want to go to Australia, this is as close as you'll be. And... <laughs> There's not more truth than I've ever heard than that, you know, because yeah. it's it's a much longer trip now. Okay, so Rossi, that's a whole episode in and of itself. We won't go down that road. Um, Cornell, then more grad school, finished grad school. What happened? How'd we end up from New York to Thailand? There's got to be some segue there. I had worked with some Thai people in Shanghai, and they'd suggested that Thailand was a nice travel destination and i you know i hadn't had thai food before i didn't realize there was anything in in thailand that was worth seeing and i went there and it was like wow this is pretty nice yeah food's good beach is amazing people nice hotels of every price range golf courses and and it's affordable and it was just it was pretty cool and I'd had a chance to travel around a lot of areas. I'd been to Hong Kong, Kuming, Beijing, all in China, Guangzhou. And then in Japan, I'd been to Okinawa. I, I went to quite a few areas in Japan. I ended up going to Thailand twice on holiday, been to the Philippines a few times. So I'd, I'd been around some different parts in Asia, some different areas in Asia over those three years that I was working there. And I realized... What an exciting, dynamic part of the world this is, with a huge population, a pretty extensive golf industry, and absolutely nobody like me that, or, or nobody like your typical university researcher slash teacher slash extension type specialist. And I thought, it looks like there's an opportunity to work in this exciting, dynamic part of the world and offer something like a turfgrass information service. And actually, so I've kind of I was doing all my research at Cornell, but also thinking what what could I do that I could go back and work in Asia. And then I kind of had the idea, let me try to do something like FarmLinks in Thailand. Okay. So FarmLinks, I don't think it is anymore, but FarmLinks used to be in Alabama. Correct. Kind of like a, a research and training center where people could go and have a great time, play golf, go fishing and get some education and see some research plots or trials. And it was sponsored by industry. And my idea, because Thailand's such a great travel destination and because Beijing, Seoul, Tokyo, they're really cold in the winter. So my idea was have a research center in thailand that could also be a training center and host do research in thailand and also host people that were coming down for training events so in 2006 i got started with that and i was doing a bit of consulting 
in Japan with some of the people that I'd worked with before. I'd done a good enough job in Japan when I worked there for 11 months that there was a company that wanted to hire me as a consultant when I finished. And so they paid me a, quite a substantial fee for consulting. And then I spent all that money on the research area <laughs> or the, you know, what was going to be like the farm links of Asia. And so that is what's developed into what we now know or what we see as the, oh gosh, I'm going to say it wrong. Asian Turfgrass Center. I was going to put a research in there. Okay, it's just ATC? Yeah, just ATC. So that research that research facility uh, was plowed under and turned into a golf course in 2010. Oh, so so I, you made a killing. You sold it to a golf course developer. No. You're I was, rich. No, 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 no. Oh, no, the no, misnomer I'm is I'm, the same I'm, as over there is here, I'm, no? I'm poor. Oh. They, I... I did that from 2006 to 2009, and I realized right from the start that that was not a very good business, and I was spending a lot more money. I was making very little money out of that, basically zero. We did do a couple training events, but I was spending $30,000 a year to operate this facility and have seven employees and try to, to have a research facility that we weren't generating revenue from. So in 2008, 2009, when the economic crisis happened, I thought this is a good opportunity for me to just change my business model, pivot. To what? Pivot to keep the same company, ATC, but not have any more employees, just focus on studying grass around the world and do consulting jobs that are fun and go teach people. So it's, it turns out that there was a much bigger demand for consulting work than I realized. Especially I, internationally, right? Especially internationally. And there was a much bigger demand for teaching and training. So I've done, for example, I did a three-year program in India where I was spending one month per year in India doing a greenkeeper education course for the Indian Golf Union, which is the India's equivalent of the USGA. Yep. And that was an RNA funded project. So I, I did that. And there's been various things like that that I wouldn't have really been able to do if I still had the employees and the research facility. But once once I stopped doing that, my expenses went down a lot and I had a lot more freedom to do things that also involves more research, but it's not re small plot research. It's research on things like MLSN the soil test interpretation method where we're looking at data and turf performance from all over the world and developing a way to make fertilizer recommendations for soil tests you said msma i said mlsn what, what does that stand for that stands for minimum levels for sustainable nutrition which is a modern method for soil test interpretation so you're taking the plan off grid I, I don't I don't I don't You're know taking it away from everything it knows and it's normal to and trying to see what it'll survive on in the least is that what it is I don't know no I mean I'm not a turf guy we we had to come up with a name for it and so at at that time when we developed MLSN it was 2012 and basically the standard way of making fertilizer recommendations from soil tests for turf grass is something called SLAN, which is sufficiency level of available nutrients. But there's a huge problem with SLAN where I've often said that con conventional soil test interpretation is broken and it's broken. The reason why it's broken is because those conventional guidelines are based on the normal nutrient levels, the sufficient nutrient levels not in the sand root zones that we grow high-performance turf grass in today, but they're based on lawns. They're based on soils that naturally hold a lot of nutrients. It doesn't mean the grass needs that much. It just means that's what was normal. And it's also based on research done for other agricultural crops that are often annual plants. If you've got an annual plant, it starts off from a seed. It doesn't have a root system. It doesn't have any leaves and stems and you got to get a crop out of that you better fertilize the heck out of it in order for it to grow so you can get a crop 
That's not what perennial turf grass is. With perennial turf grass, we have a root system. The, the plant's already there. We just need to manage a surface. And it turns out that that combination of conventional soil test recommendations coming from soil-based systems, basically from lawns, which are so generally soil, and coming from what the recommendations were for corn or other agricultural crops where you're typically growing an annual plant. And so you need to have higher fertilizer recommendations. That's the standard. So it made sense to us at the time when we're coming up for a name for what are we going to call these new guidelines that are specific for turf grass, specific for the soils that we're that we're doing today. It made sense at the time. And I did this project with Larry Stoll and Wendy Galerter from Pace Turf. It made sense at the time for us to say, let's call it minimum because it's not that we're trying to have the lowest. We're just saying, let's stay above this minimum. But now seeing how some people take it, they're like, well, I wouldn't fly on an airplane with, you know, with minimum fuel. I don't want to grow my high performance grass at minimum fuel. I'm like, look, you don't have to use this if you don't like it, but please don't misinterpret it and misunderstand it. That's not what we're saying. We're saying as long as you stay above this minimum, you're, you're guaranteed you're going to be fine. That makes sense to me, but I'm not a but, grass guy. Yeah. But, but the name itself, I think we can still do a better job of explaining it because some people look at it and they're like, Oh, that that's scary. I, I'd rather be at the high level than the low level. Sure. That, that's, that's what people tend to say, but I love to have the chance to explain it. Cause if you, if you let me talk to turf grass managers for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I can usually explain it. What are you doing in November? Oh, I'm working on my schedule. Nah, you might hear more about this later, folks. It's funny, y'all should be in here because I'm learning to play with all these knobs today. And for the first half of the episode, I realized I was turning the wrong knob for my own mic. <laughs> oh my, this this could be an interesting one to listen to. <laughs> and that's why I'm sitting here playing with the top one now. And he keeps looking at me when I, every time I touch the mic. But yeah, when he talks about turf, he looks at Don. So um, we're all over the place in here. So just bear with us, folks. If I sound a little loud and crappy, um, Alan's supposed to fix it. But um, all right, well, well, as you just learned, I'm not the turf guy. But I do have some questions from some others that you have recently met here in the U.S. Okay. Shoot. So let's, um, what other avenues of life can you apply MLSN to, i.e. dieting, car maintenance, etc.? That's coming from Alan. <laughs> you guys, you, yeah, not, not car maintenance. We, we talked about this in Charleston. We, we had a fun round at Charleston Muni and I got a chance to see his driving prowess, which was impressive. You're not talking about with the golf ball, are you? No. I In the Honda. He It took him about 12 holes to get warmed up. Oh, and, and okay. And then he did. Gotcha. Or, let's say nine holes to get warmed up. So that was good. Um, yeah, and and he mentioned car maintenance. I said, no, that it's not quite the same as car maintenance. But with, with the nutrients... Um, yeah, I just like to keep it specific to turf grass and nutrients and, and not try to extrapolate too far. Definitely right. not tissue testing. I think Alan threw you a softball here. Is zoysia your favorite grass? I think so. I think so. That's got tremendous diversity, and it's very beautiful, and it's, uh, it's a fun one to, to study and use. Had I known this ahead of time, we would have rescheduled this for an address approximately 27 minutes from here. Your lawn is... <laughs> Correct. <Yeah. How> <laughs> We'd have been you, over there looking at it. How do you like zoysia? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I, I like the fact that there's such varieties of it. Like, I've got the thicker bladed one. Um, just in, the reason for that is two pets and two boys. I want them to go play on the lawn and roll around and have fun with it. And, then, you know, there's nothing that grass won't do for me. Some of the, th the thinner blades, like me, I've got allergies. So if we're going to go out there and play in the yard, those thinner ones prick and they actually can, you know, for lack of a better word, bring on more allergies. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a Zoysia junkie. Hopefully the mic was off for all that, <laughs> but we do have, do you have any questions for Alan that I'll answer? I've known him for a little over 15 years. You got any Alan questions you want me to answer that he can hear on this? Um, 
Yeah, you put me on the spot. Um, uh, what's the best barbecue in Charleston? Maurice's. That's going to get us all in trouble, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've got more questions here. Now, these some of these are coming from uh, Mr. Huntoon. Oh. Our mutual contact that has arranged all of this today. He, Yeah, he's a smart man. Well, the good news is you've already covered the first one. What is the Asian Turfgrass Center, and how has the business model changed over the years? Mm-hmm. We covered Pivot. that. Yeah, Fair enough. Pivoted. Pirouetted. Center pivot. Okay. Alan figured out what that is when he flew recently, and I figured out what all the circles were. <laughs> okay. oh, how yeah. old were you when you figured no, that out? No, Alan, not me. Yeah. I grew up in the Midwest. I know what a center pivot is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my folks are from South Dakota. I got center pivot early in life. Um, <laughs> how does MLSN, comma, clip volume and OM246 fit into 21st century turf grass management? Oh, what a great question. So clipping volume, we've already covered what MLSN is. Let me just introduce what Clipvol and uh, is that a good one, Don? OM246 are. Okay. So clipping volume is is measuring how many clippings are mown off the turf. We generally, on tees and greens, will collect the clippings in a basket. And on greens, which are the most intensively maintained area of a golf course, we typically would be looking at the baskets or asking the operator of the mower how many clippings did you get today or how many times did you have to empty the baskets it it's just a little bit more work to dump those baskets empty the grass from the baskets into a bucket and measure what the volume of the clippings is is that measured in height or in weight neither it's measured in volume and that's why it's called clipping volume god dang you can tell i'm not in turf that's awesome but but what is there a difference in the volume if it's wet or dry uh it averages out over time okay i figured that wasn't a bad question was it that's a very good question and it's it's surprisingly um it's surprisingly consistent because you knock the dew off the clippings listen to the name dude volume are you turning? Are you are you, you you keep tweaking the dial? Are you turning? It's I turn like myself off so now this comes in. Oh man! Okay. <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me when I laugh at myself. That's all. Okay, yeah, I included that part. Well, the um, so what you do when you put a number to how much the grass is growing, you can very precisely see how much it's growing. It turns out that that's more useful than I ever thought it would be. And then OM246 is a way of measuring the total organic matter. The OM stands for organic matter. The 246 stands for two centimeters below the surface, four the then another layer two to four centimeters below the surface and four to six. If we would express that in inches, we're talking about taking the top of the root zone and looking at little slices that are zero, the surface is zero, and two centimeters would be 0.8 inches, a little bit less than an inch. Then the next increment is from 0.8 down to 1.6 inches, and then you go down 1.6 to 2.4 inches. And you measure the total organic matter at each of those depths. What that tells you is, is all the sand that you put last year causing the organic matter to go down in those zones? Or is the organic matter still creeping up because of plant growth and is decomposition of the organic matter because of soil microbial activity is that causing the organic matter to go down or is the accumulation rate from the new grass growth is that creating organic matter and causing it to grow up now it turns out that this integrating these three things is really really useful in minimizing the disturbance to the surface and maximizing the number of days in the year in which the playability can be really good because the most disruptive thing that we can do to golf course putting greens, I think, is punch holes in it and put sand all over it. And we're talking earlier about when golfers are putting, as long as it's true, as long as the ball rolls true, they're going to be pretty pleased with it. And they can adjust the speed at the practice green. But when you've got holes on the green or you've got sand on the green, the ball can bounce around a bit. It's not so true. Even if it is true, it doesn't look true. And golfers will not be happy with it when it has 
holes on it. Now, by measuring the organic matter precisely, by applying just the right amount of nutrients, but not too much, and by monitoring exactly what the volume of clippings are that you're pulling off the greens, you're able to optimize all of those and minimize the growth rate while still providing enough um, enough of a growth rate to recover from the traffic that you're getting. And that system allows you to have some pretty amazing surfaces with the minimum amount of work for that site. It's a very site-specific approach. So I came over here a year or two ago, and Don's showing me a machine that'll disrupt as much surface area as possible. It's not what you're looking for, is it? Was it the top maker? Yeah, well, you know, you have to do some of these essential maintenance practices. What I'm saying is let's not overdo it. And I think doing things on a calendar schedule is how I used to do it. And even up until about 2014, maybe even 2015, I was still recommending to do things on a like a blanket approach every golf course should put this much sand every year every golf course should core airify and remove this much material and do it on a calendar schedule too like you know if you're going to remove if you're going to hit these targets for how much surface area to remove and how much sand to get down well you need to schedule that but if you think about it the the grass is on its own schedule and every golf course is different. I suppose there's some golf courses in the state might do. Well, yesterday I was in Knoxville. They said Cherokee country club there does like 12,000 rounds. And then there's other courses. Well, we're here at the Clemson at the Walker course today. And you said, is it 40,000, 40,000. So this golf course, not only these are diamond zoysia grass greens over there, they're bent grass in Knoxville. They're doing 12,000 rounds here. We're doing 40,000. So clearly they shouldn't be getting the same amount of sand and clearly they shouldn't be getting we're talking a three more than a threefold difference in traffic. So the course that gets more traffic probably needs a much faster growth rate. And so by, by measuring these kind of things, you're able to, to do a site-specific optimization so that you still do this essential maintenance work and you punch holes when you need to, but you're doing it based on what your site requires and based on what your grass is telling you. So there's just a few key things that we can measure that allows us to optimize this. And I think what I've heard too as a non-turf manager through that is our seasonalities have changed so much just in the last 10 to 15 years here where I live that I've noticed that, I mean, if you were to do it on a calendar approach, for instance, you'd have to move some of those dates in those calendars because, as you said, the plants, it's going to grow when it's going to grow, and it's going to grow based on whatever those weather conditions are that are present presented. So, um, all right, timeline here we got to skip some of these tough questions and get you back oh, into some of these, thank these, you. these yeah. more, more important ones. Okay. Please. Um, I don't, some of these are killing me. Okay. How many countries have you visited? <laughs> I don't really keep track. How uh, many states? Have you been in a bunch of states? I've been in most of them. Most of them? Yeah. I, I've not been to Alaska. Um, as far as I've, I'm sure I've been to all the other ones. Uh, maybe, I don't know that I've been to Michigan. I mean, I've been to the Detroit airport. Can I say you're not missing much? I didn't say that. I, I don't really count. If you go to an airport and transfer, I don't really count it. I, yeah. I've definitely been to the Detroit airport, but I don't count that. So, All right. Yeah. First car you ever drove? Uh, Ford Bronco 2. My man, what year? Oh, maybe a, maybe it was 89 or 90. I had an 88. What color was it? Um uh, khaki <laughs> so i had the burgundy one with the khaki inlay that's nice, awesome nice. drove it around here in fact i had it on that's campus cool. when i went to school here stick shift it was actually an automatic okay yeah mine was uh mine was a manual nice vehicle our 83 bronco that i had before that the full size was mm-hmm. a stick shift that's what i learned to drive in yeah nice um all right so i feel like i'm missing something but um have you met paul hurst yet not in person, no. You have. What's he like? 
There's a lot it's of people. A, a lot just of like people, you see. A lot of people have been asking me. I somebody was talking about it yesterday. Just as genuine and as nice a person, Christy, same way. I mean, just cool. Feel like you've known him forever when you meet him the first time. Cool. He was so kind to name a hat after me and sent me one all the way in Thailand, and that's an expensive hat shipment, and I really appreciate it. So, if you're listening to this, Paul, thank you very much. Nice. Well, I did. I talked to him the other day, and I mentioned that I might be seeing you, and I said, "Well, look," because he performed at our show last year, Midlife. He and Christy. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Well, look." fall goes well we'll get you guys together in november and he just started belly laughing i said i don't know what that means are you going to bring him a new hat so we left it at that um don you got any questions you think we need to ask the good doc i just want to get him out of here on time to get to augusta yeah we don't want to make him late to augusta. no never late to augusta it's an invitation only type thing you learn the hard way you never ask to go so if you're invited you go yeah something like that yeah pretty well so yeah, um no, it's it's quite exciting to to get that invite well i would be excited if you'd have the opportunity to come back in november because i think some of the topics that you discuss like you say there are a number of turf managers out here that could be a lot more enlightened in person maybe than versus social media banter back and forth to really understand a lot of what's going on so maybe we can present that opportunity and have you down at the beach i sure hope so i would love to so hopefully i'll be back here in uh seven months or so looking forward to it already is there anything else you want to tell the world via pulling weeds uh if any of this interests you check out my website at asianturfgrass.com and you'll find all kinds of information about these kind of turfgrass topics and uh, yeah that's all thanks for having me on tim it's been very fun talking with you yeah and uh yeah i i thank you you're welcome. I'm I'm glad you made time. I kind of invited myself into your schedule when I found out you're going to be so close to our office. But um, if they have emails or thoughts or things like that, they can find your contact email on that website as well. Correct? Yeah, it's all there. AsianTurfGrassCenter.com. AsianTurfGrass.com. AsianTurfGrass.com. Even better. You can go to MicahWoods.com also and find potato chip reviews. That's a whole other. Did Did you other- review the ones we had today? Uh, I will rate them. Uh, I will rate them uh, eight out of ten. Wow, Those are pretty good. I, I would have them again. It's like almost a deadpan delivery. I love it. I would have them again. Well, I love it. If you go to michaelwoods.com and see the most recent post, I did my first ever video potato chip uh, opening tasting, live tasting, and one of those flavors, I said. I would have it once. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how I rate them now is would I have it again or not? And in Thailand, there's some crazy flavors. Oh, my gosh. You've got insects and things like that, right? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, insects generally taste a bit like potato chips now that you mention it because they're a bit oily and crunchy. And um, But insects are probably healthier, more protein. Hmm. So it's fun. Okay. How many insects, different species have you eaten? Um, on purpose, uh, probably six or so, five to ten. Now that's a question we've never asked anybody else, so we'll close with that. Go ahead. What okay. else? You don't know. You had something. What were you gonna say? Well, if you come to Thailand, you can order like order a omelet with uh, ant eggs. Yeah. Or or something. I could get that for you. Nice. So you get some adults in with the eggs. <sighs> We could do that at the Hunt Club if you want one morning. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Pullin' Weeds Off Course. To join the Carolinas GCSA and become a member, visit carolinasgcsa.org or call 1-800-476-4272. Follow us on Twitter at Pullin' underscore Weeds and on Facebook at Pullin' Weeds Podcast.